The Night of the Ugly Ones by Mario Benedetti Today I have the pleasure of reading for you a story by the great Uruguayan writer Mario Benedetti. Throughout more than 80 novels and collections of short stories, poetry, drama, and essays, Benedetti had the merit of winning the hearts of ordinary people in all walks of life, to a degree that very few, if any, intellectuals of his stature have ever achieved. How did he accomplish this? By always infusing his lucid, fluid, crystalline language with a humor, color, and compassion that are exemplary and will never grow old. Those of us who have the privilege of belonging to the Spanish-speaking world know that Benedetti is one of the most delightful and engaging writers of the second half of the 20th century. It is a great shame and sadness that he remains virtually unknown in the English-speaking world. The story I am going to read to you today is a great example of Benedetti's genius to create, in just four or five pages, a world of great emotional intensity. I sincerely hope you enjoy it as much as I have enjoyed recording it. Not just commonly ugly, either. She has a sunken cheekbone from the operation she had when she was eight. The revolting scar next to my mouth comes from a vicious burn I suffered in my early teenage years. It couldn't be said that we have sensitive eyes, either. Those beacons by which sometimes the truly ugly achieve something approximating beauty. <laughs> Not at all. Her eyes and mine are full of resentment, only revealing the barest resignation with which we face our misfortune. Maybe that's what brought us together. And perhaps together is not the most appropriate word to use. What I'm talking about is the implacable hatred that each of us feels for our own face. We met at the entrance to the cinema, waiting in line to see two ordinarily beautiful people on the screen. That's where we first sized each other up with an unsentimental but gloomy solidarity. That's where we notice, from the very first glance, our individual loneliness. All the people in the queue were standing two by two, but there were also real couples, married couples, couples-to-be, lovers, grandparents, who knows what. Everyone was arm in arm or holding hands. They all had someone. She and I were the only ones whose hands were loose and unattached. We looked at each other's ugliness with insolence, not curiosity. I examined the crevice of her cheekbone with the self-assured indifference that my shrunken cheek afforded me. She didn't blush. I liked that she was hard, that she returned my inspection with a meticulous glance at the smooth, shiny, beardless patch of my old burn. Finally, we went in. We sat in separate but nearby rows. She couldn't see me, but even in the dark, I could make out the back of her blonde hair 
and her shapely ear. It was the ear on her normal side. For an hour and forty minutes, we admired the good looks of the tough hero and the soft heroine. I have always been able to admire what's beautiful. Loathing I reserve for my own face, and sometimes for God. Also for the faces of other ugly ones, other scarecrows like me. Perhaps I should feel pity, but I can't. The truth is they are like mirrors to me. Sometimes I wonder what the myth would be like if Narcissus had a sunken cheekbone, or an acid burn on his cheek, or half of his nose was missing, or he had stitches across his forehead. I waited by the exit for her. I walked beside her a few steps, and then approached her. When she stopped and looked at me, I had the impression that she hesitated. I invited her to chat for a while in a cafe or ice cream parlor. Suddenly, she accepted. The place was full, but just then a table became available. As we walked among the people on the other tables, there were looks and gestures of astonishment in our wake. My antennae are particularly trained to catch that morbid curiosity, the unconscious sadism of people with ordinary, miraculously symmetrical faces. But this time I did not even have to call on my well-trained intuition, as my very ears could hear all the muttering, the little coughs, the throat clearing. It seems obvious that a single horrible face in isolation arouses interest, but two ugly faces together constitute a greater spectacle, almost like an orchestrated parade, something you should watch in the company of one of those good-looking men or women with whom the world ought to be shared. We sat down, we ordered two ice creams, and she had the courage. I liked that, too, to open her purse to take out her mirror and fuss with her hair. Her lovely hair. What are you thinking about? I asked. She put the mirror away and smiled. The bit in her cheek changed shape. Nothing original, she said. Birds of a feather. We talked a long time. After an hour and a half, we had to order two coffees to justify our prolonged stay. I suddenly realized that both of us had been talking with such painful openness that it could easily pierce past sincerity and draw very close to hypocrisy. I decided to throw myself in at the deep end. You feel excluded from the world, don't you? Yes, she said, still looking at me. You admire beautiful, normal people. You'd like to have a face as smooth as that girl on your right, even though you are intelligent and she, judging by her laughter, is hopelessly stupid. Yes. For the first time, she couldn't hold my gaze. I like that too. But you know, there is a possibility of you and I coming to something. Something... Like what? Like loving each other, for goodness sake. Or just getting along like friends. Call it what you will. But there is a possibility. 
She frowned. She didn't want to harbor any hopes. Promise not to take me for a nutcase. I promise. The possibility is to step into the night together. The deep of night, total darkness. Do you follow me? I don't. You must understand me. Total darkness, where you cannot see me, where I cannot see you. Your body is beautiful, don't you know? She blushed, and the pit of her cheek suddenly turned scarlet. I live alone in an apartment, and it's near here. She raised her head, and this time her eyes were full of questions, trying desperately to find out the truth about me and to arrive at a diagnosis. Let's go, she said. Two. Not only did I turn off the light, I also drew the double curtains. She was breathing by my side, and it was not an anxious breathing. She didn't want me to help her undress. I couldn't see a thing, a single thing, but I sensed that she was now still, waiting. I gingerly stretched out a hand to find her breast. My fingers conveyed to me a stimulating, powerful sense of her. This way I saw her navel, her sex. Her hands saw me, too. At that moment I realized that I had to tear myself and tear her, too, away from the lie I had fabricated or tried to fabricate. It was like a bolt of lightning. We were not that. We were not that. I had to call on all my reserves of courage, but I did it. My hand slowly ascended toward her face, found the horrible gorge there, and began a slow, convincing and convinced caress. The truth is, my fingers, at first a little trembling, then gradually more calm, ran many times over her tears. Then, when I least expected it, her hand also found my face, and gently, more than once, went through the stitches, the ridge and the smooth skin of that beardless island that is my sinister scar. We cried until dawn, wretched, happy. Then I got up and drew the curtains wide open. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed it, give it a like, subscribe, and share.